Welcome to an exciting forum of alternative viewpoints and balanced ideas. This is Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. That's Nav C and Nav M. Confused? Don't be, because two halves always become one. Now join us for an energized hour of global viewpoints and shared ideas, only for you. Now, here are your hosts, Nav and Nav. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. I'm your host, Nav C. And I'm your host, Nav M. Welcome to another hour of Alternative Views. This show will help you rethink, reshape, and reform ongoing narratives. So in today's episode, we'll be exploring links between Feng Shui and Vastu Shastra, two systems or techniques which focus on our internal and external environments. And arguably, they have as much relevance today compared to when they were first developed thousands of years ago. And that's because they're both linked to emotional health and the broader connection to well-being. Now, this concept of emotional health is a common theme which we'll be exploring in the coming episodes. So to start off with, in recent weeks and months, there have been many articles and news headlines on the issue of personal and public health. Uh, And the reports have shown that fear, stress, anxiety are on the rise due to global uh, recent global events. But in this episode, what we'd like to do is focus attention on the on the individual and individual health as part of a more comprehensive approach to holistic welfare. In other words, a system of wholeness regarding the health of the individual. So the first technique is Feng Shui, which is uh, which was developed in China and is actually pronounced Feng Shui. So my apologies go out to any practitioners out there regarding pronunciation. It's just that I find it much easier to say Feng Shui. The second technique is Vastu Shastra, which was developed in India, and we'll refer to this as Vastu for short. So both systems, they, they share a deep-rooted spiritual base, and they offer a meaningful approach to anyone looking for uh, some sort of spiritual awareness or realigning a sense of lost direction between their inner self and their broader environment. So in a few moments, Navsi will begin her presentation on Feng Shui. But I'd like to just begin with a, a very brief introduction to the relevance of this particular topic in today's world. So both systems, that they're considered to be uh, com- complementary forces in creating a sense of peace within homes and buildings. And I think it's useful to place today's episode within the context of emotional health uh, as a broader um, understanding of well-being. So let's take a closer look at this idea of well-being. Contemporary lifestyles, we know that uh, the hustle and bustle of, of day-to-day life, the lifestyles have become much more complex. And as individuals, we're all learning to re-examine and uh, re-understand uh, our emotional needs. And I think it's fair to say at this point that traditional social norms such as satisfaction and achievement in relation to the work and personal environment around us are, are all being challenged. So increasingly, people are educating themselves on a more meaningful approach to personal living or a life of wholeness or core balance and contentment, all ideas that we're toying with. So therefore, I think it's important that our understanding of well-being should include a a much greater appreciation of balancing one's inner and outer environments at the same time. So what does this tell us? Well, Basically, there's an element of self-deficit within all of us. So let's take one simple example. If we look at the significance of interior design to new and existing homes, we can see that many people have a very strong interest in in accessorizing their rooms. Uh, Could be a bedroom or a a living room, etc. And there's there's just a general interest in home decor all around. These are, just, these are not just passions, they, they go much deeper than that. And they're measures that individuals use to address core issues, such as a sense of restlessness or unfulfilled ambitions, uh, a deep search for happiness or success, or, or even, you know, it could be a, a change in their personal circumstances. So, so this is the backdrop to, to, to today's topic. And I think it's very important to introduce this concept to, to the listeners because um, 
it, it's necessary to have this context before we introduced uh, the very important principles of Feng Shui and Vastu. So the first point to introduce to the listeners is this idea of relevance. How do these two systems, how do they aid health and wellness? So most people uh, form their understanding of wellness from the limited sources around them. So this could be through fitness or sports, it could be leisure activities or, or socializing. But there are actually three main ways that we'll be looking at relevance in this episode. The first point is an emotional connection between health, property and the surrounding environment. So, for instance, let's say you go on vacation for two weeks. At some point, everyone is yearning to go back because this, uh, when they see their home, they think about their home, this is where they find this inner peace and tranquility. And later on this, in the discussion, we'll, we'll be touching on this issue and how it relates to the housing market and real estate in particular. So the second point regarding re relevance is there's a deep connection between uh, spatial context. In other words, how, how do we interact with the space around us and, and our definition of this uh, functioning of a healthy individual? So let's go into this a little bit more. So uh, let's look at some examples. So this could be our concept of the built environment. So, for instance, what, what do we want to see around us? Are, are there open spaces such as parks, conservation trails or uh, something similar to that? And also, what's our opinion on how buildings should be designed for the workplace? What should they look like? Should they be contemporary, small or large? And another way of looking at it is how, could, how can we look at these, these items how, and how do they interact with the space, space around us based on a, a spiritual level? So, for instance, through the medium of meditation. So these are all different examples which all address the same thing regarding individuals and, and the space around them. And the third point regarding relevance is that these techniques are, are designed to optimize long-term health and offer uh, a greater sense of well-being through a connection with ideas such as space, function, flow, form and sunlight. But actually this is in direct contrast to the short-term measures of improving well-being uh, that we see around us. And uh, the, the classic example of this is, is uh, gym membership. So, you know, I'm going to ask the listeners to think carefully about what I've just said. So I'm not criticizing gyms by any means. And I'm just stating a fact that they focus on addressing the symptoms rather than the underlying problems in their treatments. So you don't need, for instance, you don't need equipment such as free weights to improve your well-being. And we saw this through this uh, recent COVID-19 lockdown period that most people found an alternative sense of balance between their outer and inner environments when all the gyms were closed. Point in much more detail. And, and this is very, very key because it impacts large sections of modern society. And it has to do with this, the, the idea that um, the very buildings which builders and property developers are so eager to sell to everyone these days. And what I'm referring to are the, uh, the, the growth of high-rise buildings and, and condominiums. And that's because these buildings, um, according to the modern perception, they, they embody this, this uh, concept of modern living. And, and it's these buildings which arguably are making us more sick and more unhealthy. But first, I'd like to take a look at the origins and principles of both systems. And now I'm going to hand over to Navsi and she'll talk about Feng Shui. Uh, thank you, Navem. <clears throat> I'm just going to give you a brief introduction to feng shui. Feng shui, pronounced feng shui, is an ancient system of creating balance and harmony in our lives using the interconnected forces of air, which is feng, which is shui, which are the two key elements required to sustain all forms of life on earth. It works on the basis that energy currents called qi uh, or known as qi flow throughout the home and do not become blocked or stagnant. Now, what is qi? It is the life-giving vital energy that unites mind and spirit. We know that everything in the universe is uh, made up of molecules. And when these molecules bounce against each other, creation, creating mo motion, this vibration is called qi. In the simplest of forms, it is the energy around us. Qi has a powerful effect on the way we feel. Uh, one of the main beliefs of uh, 
uh, we are product of our own environment, i.e. that we are influenced by whatever we have in our environment. Uh, uh, we will go on to the three main principles of feng shui, which are qi, yin and yang, which are, again, two uh, primary forces of qi, and the five elements, which are wood, fire, earth, water, and metal. I'll briefly go over them to give our listeners a bit more information about this. A very integral part of uh, feng shui is the balance of the opposing forces of yin and yang, which are two primary forces of qi. Yin is female, dark and passive, while yang is male, positive and bright. To achieve the benefits of good feng shui, we need a healthy balance of both in our lives. It's believed that harmony and success will happen if both yin and yang are balanced. The Tai Chi symbol simplifies the interaction between these two. The circle shows the unity and represents the universe. The shaded section represents yin, uh, which, uh, while the white section represents yang. Within each section, um, there's a pinpoint of the opposite energy, proving the point that one cannot exist without the other. In other words, nothing is totally yin or yang. There's always a small element of the opposite present. So when we look at the um, context of a home that needs to be uh, a perfect balance of yin and yang energies, uh, it's very essential that they're balanced to create perfect harmony. For instance, if we take uh, a living room, for example, it's a good idea to mix both yin and yang accessories to have a positive energy flow. Yang would be the hardwood table or the mirror on the wall, while yin would be the rug, cushions, and the curtains. Um, the five elements, uh, this brings us to five elements. The five elements are wood, fire, earth, metal, and water. The Asian Chinese uh, were of the belief that these five elements make up life. Everything that exists uh, is a combination of five elements and whatever happens is influenced by them. It's very important to have a balance of these elements to create harmony and peace. Feng Shui was developed uh, over 6,000 years ago by the ancient Chinese to balance the physical world with the human environment in order to promote personal health, a sense of well-being, and a harmonious relationship. Presently, it is uh, commonly used by um, interior designers, home stagers, decorators, and architects with the aim of optimizing a positive flow of qi to improve wealth and happiness, family life, and uh, general, generally create harmony within one's surroundings, which is the essence, which is the true essence of feng shui. So somebody might ask, uh, why is there a need for feng shui? Uh, what I think is that we have seen that the modern lifestyles have changed in the last few decades due to various factors like disposable incomes, better access to training, improved communication, in some cases two household incomes, improved technology, to name a few. So due to this long trend towards great urbanization, people have disconnected from their natural environment. Hence, we see that stress and anxiety are now common and common everyday factors in everyday living. So as a result, the living standards have improved, but so have stress and various psychological disorders, which affect general well-being and are easily absorbed in all aspects of our life. Now, this might be a good time to highlight the main benefits of feng shui in brief. Uh, the benefits, most importantly, it creates a sense of well-being and inner peace, creating positive energy, allowing individuals to gravitate to, to it while simul simultaneously promoting good health, a sense of happiness, and a genuine feeling of prosperity. And how do we apply feng shui? You know, uh, we have seen that in recent years, feng shui has become very popular due to the emphasis laid on furniture placement or energy flow, which helps to create a new connection with the personal surroundings. There are various uh, ways of achieving this connection, but it is imperative that people reposition their energy flow within their natural surroundings to achieve it. Once we begin incorporating the relevant changes within the household, the whole outlook on life takes a different approach. Personal energy levels uh, change drastically and we can see a marked improvement in productivity and a sense of, of possibility and all. 
which is extremely essential for future growth and prosperity. I think at this point, it's very important to discuss the role of feng shui in, a, in, in real estate at, at present. We know essentially feng shui is based on spatial design, and that's why it is a popular guidance system in architecture and construction industries. The principles of feng shui um, are designed to promote balance and flow of positive energy. Hence, stronger the flow of a property's energy, the more improved outcome it is for the end user, be it a homeowner or an office buyer. Um, I think for potential, potential home, home buyers, the feng shui aspect is attractive because it creates an emotional connection with the desired property. Plus, it reinforces positivity as, as the property is functioning compliant. That gives them added uh, confidence to buy it. I totally agree with the concept of location. I mean, it's, in it's an integral part of the real estate process. But I also believe that feng shui provides an added dimension. And why is that? Because it focuses on the type of energy which enters the home. On the other hand, uh, for real estate agents, feng shui makes the listing more attractive, which results in uh, more uh, sort of the property selling faster at a much higher price. So it's a win-win for them. The next point sequentially follows on from what I have discussed about real estate. Uh, for example, when whenever a house goes up for sale, the realtor or the home stager generally asks the homeowner to clear clutter. Now, the question is, what relevance does this have in feng shui terms? Actually, clutter has a very important role in feng shui. It's believed that the biggest factor that contributes to the presence of negative energy is the accumulation of clutter. Clutter not only obstructs decision making, it also acts as a barrier to ongoing progress. So decluttering is very essential to create new opportunities, allow fresh possibilities to enter one's life. The more clutter we accumulate, more it drags us down, hence resulting in fut uh, obstructing future progress. The implications of uh, clutter uh, can be understood better if we divide it into three categories, which I will go in uh, briefly. So first is the emotional context. And what does that mean? So why is that we are attached to items that have no purpose, yet we are reluctant to throw them out? The, re the decision to part with personal items can be a very daunting one. And why is that? Because almost everyone avoids confronting their clutter because of the effort involved and the fact that it's a very time-consuming process. Another reason is the emotional baggage associated with it the positive and the negative experience that are related to it, and we do not want to confront them. Trying to deal with these emotions uh, is very difficult and time-consuming, like I've mentioned before. Thus, it forces us to ignore them. What we need to focus on is the, that clutter clearance not only leads to a re retention of a positive energy, it gives us clarity, purpose, and a strong feeling of well-being. This brings me to the second context, which is the spatial context. One of the principles of feng shui is the idea of spatial context, which means simplified into simple words. It means that to introduce something new in our life, we have to create capacity to make room for it. So by clearing clutter, we are attempting to change our personal space, uh, resulting in creating a sense of harmony, balance, and a constant flow of positive energy. Clutter leads to stagnation and a sense of negativity. We tend to delay things rather than, you know, having the positive can-do attitude, which in turn can leads to lead to despair, confusion, and chaos, which are very negative emotions. It is fair to say that items that are loved and used regularly have a clear purpose and they attract possibility and positivity and uh, harmony so this brings with this it brings me to the third and the uh, final context which is the value context i believe that the practice of accumulation of clutter is is actually genuinely very deeply rooted within us we 
we lead to we we which leads to us being in a total state of paralysis when trying to get rid of personal items. We are attached to a personal personal effect so much that we ex we experience an extreme sense of loss uh, when we have to part with something. One way to resolve this issue is to differentiate between something that has a clear purpose and should be kept compared to something which is a redundant store of value because. Deep down, we know that even though we choose to keep it, we will never use it. Uh, the idea of clutter is always is also relevant to the next segment of the discussion. So this, uh, I think, would be a good point to hand over to Navem to talk about Vastu Shastra. Okay, thank you, Nav. See some excellent points raised there regarding the techniques involved. And I particularly like the point regarding why is there a need for Feng Shui? Because it directly links to, to my uh, segment about relevance. So in this segment, I'll, I'll be covering the origins, principles and application of Vastu. So let's start with origins. Vastu translated uh, in simple terms means the science of architecture. And it dates back to the Vedic period of 1500 to 1000 BC. So essentially, it's the, the practice of architecture using cosmic energy expressed through mathematical calculations. And originally, it was practiced by sages known as Maharishis, and they spread the practice across Southeast Asia and it eventually reached China, forming what later became known as Feng Shui. And incidentally, if uh, anyone has seen the architecture, the brilliant architecture of the Mughal period uh, of India, they will have seen the, the grand palaces and the courtyards of, of the emperors. And these structures were all based on geometric patterns and techniques uh, specific to Vastu. So the word Vastu is derived from the word Vast, meaning residence or structure. And the word Shastra, Shastra refers to the underlying theory or science in relation to the construction of all types of buildings. So Vastu actually developed gradually over a period of time into um, what is essentially an applied science. And it evolved over a period of at least two and a half thousand years and it began incorporating elements of spiritual and scientific information from a variety of sources such as Ayurvedic knowledge, acupuncture and even yoga. And this is mainly because in its early form it was associated with uh, the construction of religious sites such as large temples. So let's take a brief look at the principles of Vastu. Vastu is deeply rooted in the teachings of the Vedas, which is the oldest text within Hinduism. And it's based on the idea that there is a cosmic energy from the sun's rays. And the key point to remember here is that the relative position of the sun throughout the course of the day is directly linked with the rotational influence of the moon and of the planets. So overall, the idea is to restore balance between one's outer environment and the home. And this is done uh, or practiced using five key elements, earth, water, air, fire and space. So when we look at the application of Vastu, how is it, how is it done in practice? The technique connects individuals with nature using five key principles and we'll quickly go through these one by one. The first principle is site orientation. Vastu is based around an octagonal shape. So the eight corners relate to four cardinal directions on a compass, north, east, south and west. And similarly we have the intercardinal directions which are northeast, southeast, southwest and northwest. And this is the real significance of Vastu because by understanding the various cardinal points, buildings are able to be designed to benefit from their exposure to cosmic energy from the sun. And moving on to the second and third principles, uh, which are site planning and selection. So the cardinal directions offer guidance to site issues such as soil type, drainage, wet dry environments. And this information is, is absolutely crucial in, in forming the basis of the architect's site plans. So essentially a blueprint is created by the architect and this conforms to various conditions on site. 
The fourth principle relates to proportional dimensions, and it's also known as the six tenets of Vedic architecture. And other great building cultures have, have used the same principles, which include height, width, depth, plumb, circumference, and interspatial gaps. And uh, moving on, the, the, the next principle is building aesthetics. So this refers to the artist's individual technique or how they express themselves using core principles. And, and this uh, would include how a building is embellished, its use of interior or exterior accessories, applying texture, natural flow, hues and tones, and also how the sunlight and shadows are dispersed across that building. So in the next segment, we'll begin a more in-depth discussion. But the main question right now is that we have to remind ourselves how practical are both these techniques in offering solutions for a more prosperous or fulfilling lifestyle. But before that, let's have a quick recap. So the context to our discussion has been the link between emotional health and the connection to a broader understanding of well-being. And we've seen that long-standing social norms such as satisfaction, belonging and achievement are all taking on new meanings and especially in relation to how people observe their own particular work-life balance. And also there seems to be uh, an interchange between the traditional norms mentioned earlier. And there's a more, it seems to be a more meaningful benchmarks for living such as wholeness, core balance and contentment. So in the next segment, We'll, beginning, uh, we'll begin our discussion on how techniques offer similar but different approaches to well-being and inner peace. And also, we'll look at both systems from an alternative viewpoint, because that's also necessary as well. But more importantly, we'll look at the relevance of these techniques in a modern age and what are the implications of, of modern building systems such as high-rise units and condominiums on the health of the individual. So we'll be taking a short break now and there'll be much more to come in the next segment. So we'll see you soon. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. To find out more about us and the ideas behind our show, visit our website at gmc-radio.com. That's gmc-radio.com. Now, back to Good Morning Canada. Welcome back. You're listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. It's great to have your company. In this segment, we'd like to focus on the differences and similarities between both the techniques and see if we can offer a different approach to each system for a modern perspective. Let's start with the key commonalities first. The first point, flowing energy. Both systems are based around the idea of universal cosmic energy. Um, Navem, any introductory thoughts at the moment? Yes, I think this is a very valid point because primal energy is a, is a universal concept. It's common to many cultures around the world. And when, when we look at it closely, every populated continent on, on the planet has some link between themselves and, and, and this idea of life force energy. So if we look around the world, a few examples which come to mind are Western Europe, um, they, they refer to it as the life force, Polynesians refer to it as mana, in Australia the Aboriginals refer to it as Alturinga or the dream time. But overall what it shows is that both techniques are easy to translate across cultures. That's very interesting. So this brings us to the second point which is the uh, mathematical calculations. 
Now, Feng Shui uses binary numbers with the yin and yang. Similarly, Vastu uses geometry in relations to the cardinal directions. So would you li like to add anything, Navem, at this point? Yeah, again, this is a very valid point because uh, ultimately maths is still the main framework used by physicists to quantify the universe, whether it's uh, uh, quantum physics. Uh, and I think more importantly, it's, it, it still remains the, the universal language of, of logic used across cultures. Oh, I agree to that. That brings us to the third point, which is the center of the home. So both disciplines recognize the center of the home as the focal point of the house. But why do all energy fields come together in a central zone of the house? Anything to add, uh, Naven? Yes, this, this is an excellent point that you've raised about central points because it's, it's actually fundamental to both systems and it's probably the least understood. So when we look at matter across the universe, it essentially it's just energy vibrating at different frequencies. And another way to explain it is that each person has their own physical body, which is surrounded by an aura or energy field. And this is also linked to an energy system or an energy center. So in Hinduism, it was called the chakra um, and still is, in fact. And, and this system is, is linked via energy pathways. So the same concept can, can easily be applied to a, to a house or a property. So the property becomes uh, an energy network. The en energy field which surrounds that particular house, that absorbs energy. And then the various rooms process the energy and the corridors and access points distribute it throughout the home. Okay, uh, so let's discuss uh, and, and look, have a look at the key differences between the two techniques now. Uh, the first point to bring is uh, favorable directions. Now, according to Vastu, north is associated with Kubera, the, the god of wealth. This is the most prosperous direction because it's the source of the Earth's magnetic energy. Whereas in Feng Shui, south takes pro predominance because it's the gateway for all chi to enter the home. Again, just uh, any thoughts on this? Yeah, this is um, an interesting point about the North and the God of Wealth. It really puts things into perspective. But when you look at uh, look at this closer, the North Pole has always had a special role for astronomers and philosophers, and in particular stargazers, because they've always been fascinated by the stars in this uh, particular region, because they rotate around one point, and this point uh, is actually the Pole Star. So... It's also the most northerly direction in the Earth's magnetic field. And, and you can see this by just looking at the, the north-seeking pole of, uh, of any compass needle. And the north concept also has, has uh, for me personally, has a, has a direct relevance. Because um, w sometimes when you think about the direction of the north and, and, and the idea of where your house is facing, I actually have uh, my garbage bins placing, faced in the north. So it, sometimes it's just food for thought. It sometimes makes you wonder if you have a negative day, uh, you start wondering, you know, am I, am I offending Kubera, the god of wealth? So it just puts a different perspective on it. And, um, and then on the opposite scale, when we look at Feng Shui, uh, this technique, it promotes the South as a direction of power. But as a discipline, it doesn't actually explain what, what the reason is for this and apart from mentioning it as a direction of fire it just seems slightly puzzling yeah it's uh, very interesting and it's just a lot uh, you know to consider and think there uh, well now uh, let's turn to how each technique is applied within the home Vastu requires a center point within the home usually a cent central courtyard in feng shui the center of the home is where all energies come together Second example would be the front entrance. In Vastu, practitioners state that the front door should always be located in the north. And in Feng Shui, the ideal placement of the front door is in the south, uh, which brings us to the kitchen. Vastu recommends that kitchens should be located in the uh, southeast direction, while Feng Shui says that kitchens should always be located in the front of the main entrance door. In regard to the bedroom, in Vastu, the ideal location for the master bedroom is the southwest of the home. But in Feng Shui, the position of the bed should always be diagonally from the door. Um, is there anything you would like to add here, Navem? 
Yes, this is all excellent information and I think it would be a, definitely a great help to a lot of homeowners um, who are dealing with issues of negativity around the house, such as low energy levels or perhaps even you know a, a lowered uh, perception of wealth. But the, the real issue of contention that I have is that uh, when you look closely at this, houses were much simpler uh, around one or two thousand years ago. So, for instance, there were no kitchens or bathrooms or bedrooms and spare rooms, etc. And, and, and housing was purely uh, on a functional basis and it was solely there to provide shelter and warmth. So, when you look at it even further, modern housing as a social concept only took off after the first industrial revolution. So it, it makes me wonder, uh, perhaps, were there large chunks of information which were added later to create a more pluralistic version of Feng Shui? In other words, uh, it means all things to many people. And I think this last point brings us towards a, a closing analysis of the uh, principles um, and, and, and the guidance systems offered by Feng Shui and Vastu. So in the last two segments, we've covered a lot of principles, theories and belief systems. But what we'd like to do now is uh, provide a, a closing analysis to the various discussions that we've that we've had. And here again, the aim is to come back to our original question, how practical are these two techniques in a modern understanding of wellness? So there's several points that I'd like to raise. And the first one is that do Vedic traditions of architecture relate to modern India? And in answering this, I, I would say that uh, they've definitely stood the test of time. All you have to do is just look at the Taj Mahal. So within the Taj, the main forms of direction, uh, decoration sorry, are uh, floral patterns, their geometric shapes and the calligraphy from the Quran itself. And on the west side of the Taj, the side door displays several of these design elements. So you have floral decorative patterns on the sides and over the doorway, and you have um, Quranic verses around the frame of the doorway. And this is a fascinating point because when you look at that text, it doesn't matter where, where you stand. It doesn't matter where you stand one meter away or 10 meters away. The text will always remain in proportion to the reader. Uh, regardless of where they are. And, and these are perfect examples of the technical superiority and aspect uh, of, of Vastu in terms of uh, uh, the way they lend that knowledge to architecture. Uh, the second point is that when we combine these twin ideas of health and power through architecture, they're not just limited to Vedic traditions. There are many other civilizations such as the Egyptians, the Mayans and uh, also Freemasonry in Western Europe. And again, it shows the relevance between buildings, space and well-being. The third point is, is this, that we've already mentioned changing in social economic norms and, and there's already a, um, a, a, an altered perception of Vastu as a core discipline. And this is definitely true within architectural schools within India today. And I think it's fair to say that, that as, a, as a technique, as a discipline, it's pretty much been sidelined to the periphery. But on a practical level, there is evidence that there's a more widespread use within Indian society. And ironically, the main reason is changing lifestyles. And this has become manifested through uh, greater purchasing power and rising disposable incomes compared to previous generations. So in other words, what we're looking at is a scenario where new world meets old world and individuals are trying to incorporate a nostalgic view of the past. In other words, to safeguard their own future or their own worldview. And the next point, it's interesting to note that although consumers are gravitating towards concepts such as interior design, curb appeal and, and a general trend towards the principles of aesthetics, there's also a trend towards the use uh, or the greater use of practitioners uh, such as high priests or pundits um, and also astrologers and traditional craftsmen uh, and the whole aim there is to uh, use them as an advisory um, in an advisory capacity or a professional consultation and yet both traditional and modern approaches seem to be at odds with with each other so the fifth point is that one key area where the application of Vasu has had a positive effect is in the relation 
to the understanding of, of a very, very key issue called sick building syndrome or SBS. And this is a, a well-documented ailment and it focuses on occupants of tall buildings who experience poor health and, it, uh, and for, uh, generally for un unknown reasons. And they seem to be linked to the amount of time that they spend in, in uh, certain buildings. So usually there's no specific illness or cause which has been identified, but the origin of the Ill illness is always a particular room or a certain zone or area within that building. And there's a long list of symptoms, uh, including headaches, dizziness, nausea, fatigue, nose and throat irritation, dry cough, allergies, cold and flu-like symptoms, asthma attacks, and, and even personality changes. So health experts have identified various reasons as possible causes for this. And, and one of the main reasons is this issue of um, poor indoor air quality, also ventilation, which is uh, which reduces the level of direct sunlight and uh, noise pollution, just as, as other examples. And um, it's interesting that numerous studies uh, on large office buildings have been undertaken uh, in North America, UK and Western Europe, Scandinavian countries, Japan, China, India and the Far East, uh, such as Malaysia as well. And all of these studies substantiate and point to the occurrence of uh, sick building syndrome as a, as, a, as a phenomenon. So then we ask ourselves, how does it affect modern, modern living? Well, there are major implications for popular residential hubs in North America for sick uh, building syndrome because it's, it's commonly associ uh, associated with modern high-rise buildings. And due to this growing trend towards mass urbanization and the, the rapid growth in construction of high-density vertical housing units. So when we look at this closer, let, let's look at one continent. Let's look at Canada and the US. Let's look at North America. So there's been a huge growth trend towards condominiums. People are living in, in such close proximity to each other. This has uh, additional influences such as sound waves coming from uh, telecommunication networks um, and, and more so with uh, the 5G network, which is being um, unraveled at the moment. And fluctuations in electromagnetic radiation. But there also there, there are other implications which are far more sinister. And let's just look back in the last few weeks at this COVID-19 lockdown period. So the issue of social isolation is, is, a, is a key factor here and how it relates to sick building syndrome. And again, there, there are clear health implications for the future. And we have to ask ourselves a very, very pertinent question, given that Vastu has a track history of addressing these symptoms, especially in relation to the use of cardinal directions, perhaps it's time for health and public officials to reconsider their approach to high density models of housing growth. And then the next point, uh, it, it focuses on income levels in terms of analyzing Vastu and, and Feng Shui. So I would say it's a fair assessment to say that Vastu is still the preserve of wealthier families because we know that it dates back to the Vedic era and it was originally implemented by ruling sovereigns and aristocracy in the form of grand palaces and, and temples. But in modern India, the technique is being used by a rising middle class. And this leads to a very, very key point that given that 50 percent of India's economy is still agrarian based, um, is is it possible that Vastu is just out of the reach of the of, of the poorest elements of society who who still survive on a subsistence level? And I would say yes. Um, whereas if you look at uh, Feng Shui, it's applied on a much more simpler level and it's easier to replicate those techniques. So then one question that comes to mind is how is Vastu being applied in the Western Hemisphere? So again, North America stands out as, as a clear example because uh, and the reason for this is it's been a center for immigration for decades. And in the modern globalized era, we have many key cities which are now tech hubs and they're attracting uh, a high volume of highly skilled foreign workers. And this would include cities such as Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal in Canada and uh, the, the classic examples such as Seattle, the Bay Area in, in the US and, and newer cities, uh, well, newer examples such as uh, Boston and Chicago. And as a result of this, what we're seeing is these same tech 
cities uh, are becoming major hubs for real estate, which inevitably this leads to practices uh, such as multiple offers, bidding wars, and, and lots being sold off plan in very short periods of time. So then we ask ourselves that given that immigration is a, is a major driver of real estate, is it, is it uh, credible to suggest that most of those buyers are, are, are even, um, well, I mean, one analysis of that is that most buyers are considered to be fortunate to even secure a uh, property in, in such a crowded market. So then we, we really have to think seriously about Vastu or uh, Feng Shui compliant properties. And do the, do those people, you know, who are, who are exceptionally busy, do they have the time to think seriously about Vastu or Feng Shui compliances? But that said, if we look at in recent years, there's been a lot of attention directed uh, applying both of these techniques to the process of real estate. So, for example, there's growing evidence of Vastu compliance in India. In 2015, there, were, there was um, an article by a property listing portal called housing.com, and they carried out a Vastu study showing that 93% of home buyers preferred Vastu compliant homes. But that was related mainly to the uh, south of India, such as uh, areas such as Chennai. And... Um, Furthermore, in, in 2017, there was an article in the, in the Boston Globe which showed that since 2011, the MLS, which stands for Multiple Listing Service, um, and that's the property information network used by Realtors, they included an optional facing direction field on their listing sheets. And the purpose of this was to help brokers who, who'd received faith or cultural requests from certain buyers. And, uh, but then uh, MLS answered this by saying that it was done as part of their Greenfield initiative, which argues that facing directions truly benefit from uh, energy conservation. So moving on to, uh, to our analysis, let's look at another point. And this is the external environment of the Vastu framework. And that also has to be considered because the surrounding factors are also very, very important relative to the property. So in a 2018 article by the Free Press Journal Bureau, they stated that surrounding factors were of equal importance when considering a property. And in particular, there's a key relationship between a short building and a tall building. So in other words, if, if, if a property is surrounded by taller buildings, then the energy of the shorter building will be, will be suppressed or subdued. And then there's a direct relevance to the, uh, this has a direct relevance to what we've just discussed uh, in terms of building of condos and high-rise buildings. And there are also various additional factors which also need to be considered. And these are when, when considering a property. And this would include overhead high voltage wires, unfinished buildings, this issue of uh, sharp buildings or building elevation, and the presence of water and, and foliage. And so moving on in our analysis, the, the next issue is, is, is very, very simple. It's, it comes to this issue of common sense. And Let's say a homeowner um, adheres to all of the correct Vastu or Feng Shui compliant procedures, but uh, they experience spillover effects from bad neighbours such as noise pollution or household rubbish accumulating near their property. Then they would ask, well, I've done everything right. Why hasn't it worked? Or, you know, is there something wrong with the system? So then moving on in our analysis, the next point makes us really think introspectively. And this is this issue of the trend or the trend aspect. And I think it's a fair argument to say that with any growth of real estate, there's always complementary industries which develop at the same time. So in other words, are, are we dealing with a situation which can be described as a sign of the times? And, and, and does Vasu compliance or Feng Shui compliance mirror an underlying trend in society? Because what we see is that there's uh, quite a few Vasu uh, practitioners and they, they will advertise their credentials, but often the focus of their service is largely on creating wealth and, and prosperity. So, so there's a situation that, that by using both of these techniques, are, are they more about health, which is the, the, the actual core issue here? Are they actually about health or actually, are they actually about wealth? And let's not forget that the, the influence of astrology as a belief system in, in a country uh, as large as India is, is usually more convenient 
uh, and it makes more common sense to perhaps uh, to access a, a high priest or a pundit because that would be more beneficial and, and more convenient rather than go through this whole process of implementing complex procedures required by Vastu. So looking at these uh, points, overall, they're, they're very, very interesting points and they, they create a lot of food for thought. So now what we'll do is we'll finish off with some concluding remarks. So what we've seen in the previous discussion is a reminder that the individual is one is only one part of a holistic approach to well-being. And that's because total health as a system requires a joint approach between mind, body and universe. And what this argument says that, that there's, it makes even more sense now, especially in a, in a post-COVID crisis, because... It, it, the way it's been placed is that the context of the built uh, the built environment, what we see around us, it means that the, 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 there's a changing workplace and it requires individuals to spend a greater amount of time indoors or either at home or in tall buildings or, or perhaps uh, a combination of both. But overall, we believe that it's here that, that Feng Shui and Vastu, uh, with, their, uh, with their techniques, they have a clear and historical advantage because they promote a multidisciplinary approach. And this is what public uh, officials, health officials should, or should also be looking into. And, and the reason for this is just based on commonalities between an individual and their internal and external environment. Many thanks for... Um this brings us to the end of the show. So many thanks for listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. Uh, we really appreciated your company today. Uh, to contact us, go online at gmc-radio.com. You can send us feedback by emailing us at info at gmc-radio.com. Please like, share comments. We love to get feedback from you. Uh, please connect to us via social uh, channels, uh, which are Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just a quick mention that this show is syndicated to iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. Simply subscribe and download the apps to make sure that you never miss a show. Uh, thank you again. We'll see you next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern. Till then, it's good, good luck and goodbye. Thank you for listening to Good Morning Canada. Please join NAVC and NAVM for another great program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon.